Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our Red Letters Sermon Series, which looks at the words of Jesus Christ in the Gospels. We hope that this message will be an encouragement to you, and we would love to hear how God used it in your life. Title the, the message tonight is Proof of Identity. Uh, how many of you have ever um, gone somewhere? Maybe you're changing, uh, change, doing a P.O. box or a mailbox, or you're changing addresses, or you're doing a, uh, I think of a passport, or you're doing something with a license, and you've got to prove your identity. How many of you had to do that before? Okay, if you have a license, you've had to do it. You have to prove your identity. They make you bring so many certain numbers of, of uh, items that prove your identity. This last... Um, a few months ago, I had to update my passport, and it's been 10 years since I had it, and so I had to go in and, and update that, and as I'm doing the passport, uh, I decided, well, I'm going to go ahead and do this thing called TSA PreCheck. You know what TSA PreCheck is? Make sure we can go through security faster. Uh, I'd like to do that. That way I can be later for flights, you know, and uh, I, I went and had to, had to register, and go, Hannah and I had to go to uh, Ellensburg and go to a, pre-S- uh, a TSA PreCheck office, and we had to, when we got there, we had to bring, I think it was two or three proofs of our identity. A license didn't just work. You had to have a license and a birth certificate, and uh, if you had changed your last name, had to have a marriage license, and if you had, uh, had your last name changed twice, you had to have, I mean, they just went through all of these things, and everything had to do with proving your identity. The truth is tonight that I'm glad they do that, Right? I'm glad that they make people prove who they are. They ask us for proof of identity, but as you come to John chapter number 5, we're going we're to jump in into a passage where the Pharisees and the Jews are asking Jesus about the proof of his identity. Because the truth is that Jesus made some, uh, to them, we would call them egregious claims Jesus made some things and some claims that they were like, you can't say that. How dare you? What right do you have to say that? In John chapter 5, it's a great passage where we find Jesus giving the proof of his identity. And that's where we're going to end up tonight. But we're just going to start John chapter 5 and verse number 1. Why don't you stand with me? John chapter 5 and... And now we're going to read um, the uh, first five verses, and then we're going to jump down, kind of jump around in the, in the passage, and so you follow along as we read. John chapter 5, verse number 1, after this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, the after this would be what took place last week up in Capernaum, and uh, we'll remember that Jesus was traveling around up there. He was on the seaside, and the multitudes were coming after him, and Levi followed him, and then he went and had a meal with Levi, and the whole conversation that took place there. And uh, that's the after this. So after that, Jesus travels south. He goes to Jerusalem. When it says went up to Jerusalem, it's not up in uh, 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 geography as in going north and south. It's in elevation. So he's going up to Jerusalem. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. And these lay, in these lay a great multitude of impotent folk of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first after the troubling of the water stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. Skip down, if you would, to um, verse number nine, or verse number eight. 
Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. Skip down to verse number um, 24. These are the words of Jesus. He's speaking to some Jews who are asking him some questions. And notice what he says. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and they that uh, hear shall live. For as the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself. Verse number 31. If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. There is another that beareth witness of me, and I know that the witness which he witnesseth of me is true. As you go through John chapter number five, and we just kind of, right there, we just kind of jump around. We don't really get a good glimpse of what's taking place, but the scene would be Jesus at the pool of Bethesda healing this man, and then the Jews and Pharisees using this uh, as an opportunity to question Jesus, who do you, you know, you make all these claims, but what proof do you have that you bring salvation? What proof do you have that you come from God? And what proof do you have that you are God in the flesh? Because that's the claim that Jesus is making in the passage, and we'll see more about that in just a second. But tonight, we're going to look at this proof of identity, looking and seeing in John 5 how Jesus proved his identity, and then we're going to ask a question at the end of the message uh, tonight that I think will be a challenge to us. So let's pray, and then we'll get in the Word of God with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Why don't you just take a moment and just ask the Lord to, uh, to speak to your heart tonight and make the commitment to him that as he speaks to you tonight that you're going to listen to him and respond to him. Lord, again, we thank you for the word of God. Thank you for how it speaks to our hearts. We pray that you'd bless us and uh, use it to work in us tonight. We just commit the time to you, Lord. I surrender my mind and heart and words to you. I pray that you would uh, fill me with your spirit, that we'd be challenged by what we hear, and Lord, that you would help us to leave uh, better because of the word that you gave us. And we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You go ahead and be seated. As we come to John chapter number five, I want us to look at a few thoughts. First of all, I want us to see the power of Christ. We can see the power of Christ in John chapter number five. If you were to go and look at the power of Christ in John five, you would notice this from verse one all the way down through verse number 16. What takes place verse one through verse 16? Well, it's the story of Jesus healing this man from the pool of Bethesda. <coughs> Last year, I love going through this, this series of Jesus because it just reminds me of the trip to Israel last year. And uh, last year we got to go to the Pool of Bethesda. And uh, you want to put that picture up, Brian. I think we have a couple of those. The Pool of Bethesda, this is the ruins of the Pool of Bethesda. If you read the story in the account in John chapter number 5, it would be that uh, every year, once a year, the angel would come and stir the water. And uh, whenever the water was stirred, whoever was first would be healed of their, uh, of their disease. And the, this Pool of Bethesda had five porches. Uh, looks like the next picture 
that you see, and uh, they had five porches that would look somewhat like this uh, throughout the pool of Bethesda, and people would be sitting almost, the porch would kind of almost be like uh, the seaside, almost just like the beach of a, of a lake or something like that, just right next to the water, and so uh, you would go, and the Bible tells us as Jesus goes that way that there's uh, a bunch of people, multitudes of people that are there. All of those people would be people that would be suffering from uh, being uh, uh, blind or halt or withered or uh, impotent, which would be a uh, sick to the point of being feeble and helpless. Blind would be people without the ability to see properly. Halt would be people who were completely lame and unable to move. And withered would be people whose body parts had withered up from a different disease. And basically, as Jesus is going by, he finds himself coming in contact with all of these people who we would say are in a helpless and a hopeless situation. They can't help themselves. They can't get to the pool. They uh, Many of them would be dependent upon other people rolling them in. Or if they were uh, blind, they hopefully could move their way in, but really, these people, they can't heal themselves, and then comes Jesus. And Jesus comes, and he finds this man, and verse number five, Jesus walks by this man. Notice verse uh, five, a certain man was there, which had an infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he saith unto him, wilt thou be made whole? The impotent man said, the impotent man answered, Answered him, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool, but while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. So here's this man, Jesus comes by, and you can almost get a sense that as Jesus walks by him, this man, he's there, and we would, we would gather from him being impotent right there that he's probably a paralyzed man. He, he has to maybe be carried to the pool each day or he has uh, his campsite is there. We don't, we don't know exactly what the uh, circumstances are, but we know he can't get to the pool himself. And Jesus speaks to this man, and then what he does in verse number 8, he heals him. He just heals the man. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm there at the pool of Bethesda and I'm one of the ones and I see Jesus pass by, And I watch him go up to a man that I know has been physically unable to move for 38 years. And I see this man, Jesus, just say, rise up, take up thy bed and walk. And I watch the man do it. Uh, Do you think you'd forget about the pool for a little bit? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, you'd forget about the pool for a little bit. Why? Because the real power is right there. Man, the real power is in this man. Jesus goes and he begins to uh, 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 speak to this man. He heals him and then the Jews come and they begin to ask all their questions and and we're going to get into that in just a second. But what I want us to look at very quickly tonight is the power that we see with Christ. I want you to see first of all tonight as we're going through this, I want you to look at the weakness of man. All right, let's look at the weakness of man. This man, he couldn't do anything. He couldn't help himself. This whole group of people couldn't do anything. They were all there uh, desiring to be better, but they couldn't. And that really, if you go, and uh, I, I have it here, really if you go and you look at all of these folks, the impotent, the, the blind, the halt, the maim, it represents all of mankind, not physically, but spiritually. That mankind is spiritually inept. We cannot help ourselves. So, we have to depend upon the power of Christ for salvation, right? We have to depend upon that. 
But when I, when I look at this passage, I can see that we are helpless, like they are helpless for our salvation, but we're also helpless, I think about this, especially with today, we're helpless with our earthly situations. Helpless with eternal salvation, but helpless with, helpless with our, our earthly situations. You know, there's a lot of things we can't control. There's a lot of stuff that happens in your life and my life that we look at and say, man, why? Why me? How can I fix this? What can I do? Um, I think, you know, honestly, the biggest illustration in my mind is what took place last night. I got a phone call about 11 o'clock, and Robert said, Pastor, someone, someone was in the church tonight, the camera. I just got on before I went to bed and wanted to look, and, and someone was in there. I, I think they got some stuff because now the cameras are offline. I said, all right, I'll be right there. I went and picked Robert up, and we, we drove over here, and on the way we called 911. And right when we got here, all the doors were still locked. And so I'm thinking, man, the guy's still in there. And uh, we, we walked in, and I won't tell you everything I did, but it involved a firearm and walking through because we were ready. You know, and we walked in, and right when we opened the door, there's glass everywhere, everywhere. And you could see the computer wasn't back in the sound booth like it normally is. And right, I mean, I'm just thinking, oh, man, they, they took everything. Soundboard's probably going to be gone. And I remember in the moment, right when we walked through, there's some adrenaline, but there was a lot of frustration. And then, honestly, you feel helpless. We had, it was interesting to me this morning when I said, how many of you have been uh, burglarized before? And uh, probably about 80% of the auditorium, its hands went up this morning. And those of you that have been there, man, you just feel helpless. You can't do anything about it. I think that goes to prove and goes to show that we really are helpless in our earthly situations. We think, listen, I'm a, I'm a person who thinks I have control. But you know what God does? Sometimes God allows a situation to remind me I don't have control. Because I am not all-powerful. He's all-powerful. I am weak. We see, first off, the weakness of man. But I want you to notice, secondly, talking about the power of God, notice the words of the master. Jesus walks up to this man and he speaks, he speaks words to this impotent man. And I want you to see real quickly in verse 6 through 9, we just read it. We'll just go through it fast. Jesus speaks, first off, he speaks caring words to him. Caring words. The words that he says to him is, uh, wilt thou be made whole? Man, I see Jesus speaking to him and saying, hey, I care for your situation. Secondly, he speaks changing words, life-changing words to him. He says, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. Hey, will you be made whole? I've got control of the situation. Let me change that. And then he speaks uh, what we call commanding words. Commanding words in verse number nine, look at it. Immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked, and on the same day was the Sabbath. You say, well, Jesus didn't say anything in there. Right, because he had just said, rise, take up thy bed, and walk. It changed the man and also, it was a command of the man. And that, you know what that guy did? Man, he got up. He obeyed the words of Christ. We'll see in just a minute that he responded to the words. Can I just help us tonight to understand and, <clears throat> and see this, that God's word is still the source that shows us God's power. Okay, sometimes we look at our weakness and our frailty and we get in our minds that since we can't do anything, we might as well just kind of throw in the towel. Maybe we don't quit on a situation, but sometimes we quit on our walk with God. 
Sometimes we just get discouraged and allow that discouragement to set in like we looked at a few weeks ago on a Thursday night. But the fact of the matter is that when you and I are in helpless situations, recognizing our weakness, that should draw us back to the words of Christ. Why? Because the words of Christ contain his power. If you think about this, the only active power in your life that you have to hold on to is the word of God and the spirit of God. That's the only way that we are, uh, if I can say it, that we're attached to the power of God is through his word and through his spirit. And so the closer I get to God through his word, the closer I get to the spirit. And the closer I get to the spirit, the closer I get to the father. And the closer I get to the father, the more I experience the power of God at work in my life. And so Jesus comes and he speaks these caring words to this man. He gives this man these life-changing words and then these commanding words. So we see the words of the master, but I want you to notice uh, this third little thought right here talking about the power of Christ. I want you to notice what I'm calling the way of the majority. The way of the majority. Look with me, if you will, at verse number 10. Verse 10 says this, The Jews therefore said unto him that was cured, It is the Sabbath day. It is not lawful for thee to carry thy bed. Verse 16, skip down. It says, therefore the Jews did persecute Jesus and sought to slay him because he had done these things on the Sabbath day. You know what happened? The majority of people, they got mad at what Jesus did. They got mad at the power of Christ that was displayed. Now that doesn't make sense to me. And here's why. And this is the majority of the Jewish leaders and of the people that were there being led by the Jewish leaders. Here's why it doesn't make sense to me. If you saw somebody that was healed, that was lame for 38 years, and you saw that take place, why would you get mad at that? Right? Why would you? It just doesn't make sense to me. Like, oh, how dare you help this man? How dare you heal him? What are you thinking? But the whole thing goes back to their... Uh, um, religious superiority in their mind because they weren't mad at Jesus for healing the man. They were mad at Jesus for healing the man on the Sabbath. Hey, it's a Sabbath day. You're not supposed to work, right? That was the discussion the Pharisees and Jews had with Jesus often. So the way of the majority is we reject it. Don't you see the lame man, he responded to the word of God the majority rejected the words of God. The, I'll say it again. The lame man, he responded. He heard God's word. He, by faith, I believe by faith, that man took a step. I mean, he could have laid there and looked at his legs and thought, there's no way they're going to work. It's been 38 years. But I don't see him doing that. I see Jesus saying, rise, take up the bed and walk. And the next verse says, the man did it. He got up. He took that faith. He, he obeyed the word, re- responded to the word of God, while the majority rejected the word of God. I just want us to understand that the truth of that thought right there is still going on today. What I mean by that is people still today don't like God's words, right? The majority of culture pushes against the words of God. But those of us who know the word of God and know Christ, you know what what, what Paul wrote about it? That his words are the power unto salvation. So for the believers, the word of God is the power of God. For an unbeliever, the word of God is something that I just want to push back. All right, so I see tonight, first off, the power 
of Jesus Christ. Notice, secondly, if you would, the plan of Christ. This is continuing to go through John chapter number 5, and we'll go somewhere with this. Look at the plan of Christ. Go down and skip down to verse number uh, 23. Verse number 23, it says, That all men should honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son, honoreth not the Father, which hath sent him. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him, that sent me hath everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming. And now is, when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they uh, that hear shall live. For as the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself. And hath given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming, in the which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice and shall come forth. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil, the resurrection of damnation. I can of mine own self do nothing as I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just, because I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father which hath sent me. <coughs> We don't have to take long on this uh, thought, just two quick points. The plan of Jesus Christ, what you can find there, and you can go through and break it down on your own. The plan of Christ, number one, is to offer the plan of salvation to people. All right, we know that. The, the plan of Jesus Christ is the plan of I'm going to provide salvation, right? That's, in, that's the entire reason Jesus came. Hey, I came to do the work of the Father. I came. I judge righteously. He's going through all that. There is a resurrection unto, unto life and a resurrection unto death, and he's just going through all of that. And so we don't have time to belabor this. I want to get to the last point and spend a few minutes there. So he, he wants to provide salvation here, and he's going to give his life for that. We all know this. But then I want you to see that talking about the plan of Christ, that Jesus gives us a great example in the fact that he was perfectly surrendered. Jesus was perfectly surrendered in this passage. Where do we see that? Go to verse number 30. Verse 30, Jesus said, I can of mine own self do nothing as I hear I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father which hath sent me. You know what Jesus does here is he gives us an example of submission. In the plan of God, Jesus was perfectly surrendered and submitted to the plan of God. Jesus didn't come and, and, I mean, he says it right there in the middle, because I seek, I seek not mine own will. Right? The whole plan of Jesus coming, he said, uh, I'm not coming to fulfill my plans, but I'm, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day, for the night cometh when no man can work. I've got to do God's plan. Okay, so the whole plan for salvation was something that Jesus followed because God had established. All right, there's some submission there. Okay, so we have the power of Christ. What's his power? The power is his spoken word. What's the plan of Christ? The plan is to forgive, to heal, to bring salvation, and he shows us that submission that we look at. I want you to notice a third thought tonight as we go through this. Notice then, as we get to verse number uh, 17 through 22, notice the personal claim for Christ. We skipped over these and because I want to go back to them. <coughs> notice Jesus' personal claim that he makes, verse 17. But Jesus answered them, My father worketh hitherto, and I work. Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him, because he not only had broken the Sabbath, 
but said also that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Then answered Jesus and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he seeth the Father do. For what things soever he doeth, these also doeth the Son likewise. For the Father loveth the Son, and showeth him all things that himself doeth. And he will show him greater works than these that ye marvel not. For as the Father raiseth up the dead and quickeneth them, even so the Son quickeneth whom he will. For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. Do you see what Jesus does right there, verse number 18 specifically, when he says, or excuse me, verse 17, when he said, my Father. The personal claim of Jesus Christ in this passage is, the, is this thought of our Father versus my Father. Okay, the Jews, they would say our father because then there wasn't personal claim to the relationship. They weren't they weren't saying we have a corner on it, because if a person said my father. It was in the Jewish mindset and Hebrew custom, it was making yourself equal with God because you were making personal claim upon the name of God. Um, my dad's not here tonight, but if my dad was here tonight, the reason I, I would look at it, the reason I call my dad my dad is because he's, no, my dad. He's not, he's not your dad, Craig. He's my dad. He's my dad. There's personal claim there. When I claim him as my dad, I'm saying I'm a fountain. I'm the son of Dennis. Um, I'm heir to him. You know what that means? That with family heir, everything that's his is mine. Everything that's mine, it's his. We're in a family. So when Jesus says, my father, notice what verse 18 says. Therefore, the Jews sought to kill him. Why? What did he say? Well, he just made a claim. He made a claim that he was equal with God. He made a claim that he was on the same level as God. And he laid personal claim to the the Father when he used that phrase, my Father. But then, in verse number 19, instead of denying the accusation that they're trying to accuse him of, it says, therefore the Jews sought to, uh, the more to kill him, verse 18, because he hath not only broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his Father, making himself his equal, Jesus answers them. They didn't ask anything. Jesus knew what they were thinking. So he still answers them. Notice his answer. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the Son can do nothing of himself but what he seeth the Father do. For whatsoever things he doeth, these also doeth the Son likewise. You know what he just does? He says, yeah, you're right. I'm the Father's Son. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. I am God in the flesh. He stated that he and the Father, they're working together. Now, the Jews, they would definitely not like this because they had set themselves up, and this is an interesting thought. They had set themselves up, the Jews had, as the enemies of Christ, right? They had positioned themselves, excuse me, they had positioned positioned themselves in the culture 
And in the communities, they had positioned themselves as being opposite of Jesus. So here you have Jesus on one side, you have the Jews and the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, those of the Sanhedrin, on the other side saying, well, we're not like him. Let's, let's just stand back, let's stand back and see if this is true. Let's stand back and see if this is real in his life. Let's, let's stand back and see if he really is who he claims he is. And that's what they were doing. And so when Jesus says, me and the Father, we're one, we're doing the same thing, now he's saying, hey, you know what you're doing? You're making yourself an enemy of God because I'm working on behalf of God. And this would, this would highly offend them because they had positioned themselves as working against God. And then in verse 21 and verse 22, Jesus talks about the power again. Just as the Father has given power, or just as the Father has power, I, has, I have power. Right, the verse 21, the Father raiseth up the dead and quickeneth them, even the Son. Hey, me and the Father, we're the same. Verse 22, the Father uh, judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. He's committed that to me. What Jesus was doing in all of these claims, and we don't have time to, to uh, um, make it come to fruition in, in our study here, but what he was doing is he was shooting down all of their man-made laws. You see, they were upset that he healed on the Sabbath, and Jesus was saying, hey, my father works and I work. The Sabbath means nothing. You go and you uh, remember when Jesus uh, confronted the Jews about this, the, the Pharisees about the Sabbath. He said to them, um, they came and said, why, why do your disciples pick on the Sabbath? You know, why are they eating, on, eating corn on the Sabbath and walking through the fields and, and doing this? I mean, they're working. And Jesus said, hey, if you had a mule that got loose, you would go rescue your mule. You would, you would take care of things on the Sabbath. And then Jesus says to them, hey, uh, the Sabbath wasn't made for me. No, I'm made for the Sabbath. And Jesus said, I am the Sabbath. That's basically what he was saying. I am your rest. And so really when Jesus taught, and here's where I'm going with it. When Jesus taught, he taught contradictory to what the Pharisees believed. So the claims that Jesus is making is something that the Pharisees would step back and say, there's no way. There's no way that you're God in the flesh. There's no way that you're the son of God. There's no way that you can heal on the Sabbath. There's no way. But they just watched him do it. It's almost as if they're saying, why don't you prove who you are? Hey, you're making all these claims. Prove it. Where's your proof of identity? As Jesus goes and makes these claims, we find them enraged. We find them I used the phrase this morning, just ticked off. They're just upset. What? He can't make this. I love this quote. I found it. I like it. Those who will not be enlightened by the word of Christ will be enraged and exasperated by it. Nothing more vexes the enemies of Christ than his asserting his authority. See, in this, in this passage, Jesus was using his words to say, I truly am the Son of God. And that makes me on God's side and you against God. And most people, they don't like that. We're back to those words again. But in this, when you look at it, this personal claim is simply Jesus saying, I am the Son of God. I'm on the same team as, Jesus, as God the Father. Now I want you to come to this last thought tonight, and we'll wrap it up after this. And that is the proof that he is Christ. The proof that he is Christ. All right, so we just worked our way from John 5, the first part of it, all the way to the middle of it. 
Jesus has just healed a man, showing us his power through the words. He had taught them about his plan, that it's salvation. And then he had made that personal claim, I am, I am God. All right, Jesus, we need, we need some proof. That's what they're, we need some proof. He gives four ways that this is proven. Number one, he says in verse number uh, 33 through 35, he says this, Ye sent unto John, and he bear witness unto the truth, but I receive not uh, testimony from man, but these things I say, that ye might be saved. He was a burning and a shining light, and ye were willing for a season to rejoice, to rejoice in his light. They, he makes, first of all, the, this claim, hey, listen, you want proof that who I am? John the Baptist. Now, <clears throat> for those of you that maybe study Scripture, there might be a little bit of a question mark there. Because the Jews, the Pharisees, ended up not liking John the Baptist. But it wasn't always the case. If you go back to John chapter number one, do you know who you find traveling to listen to John the Baptist and be baptized of him? Pharisees. All of the people travel, come to, come to him. So in verse 33 through 35, what Jesus is saying is basically this. Hey, listen, you followed John the Baptist. Didn't you hear what he said? He said, I was the Christ. You want proof? I will take, let's, let's get the witness. First witness on the stand, John the Baptist. And what Jesus, what, what did John say? John said, he must increase and I must decrease. What did John say? Behold, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. What did John say? John said, and I saw and bear record that this is the Son of Christ. The Son of Christ. Another time, looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, behold the Lamb of God. So four times in Scripture, John 1, 23, 1, 29, 1, 34, and 1, 36, we find John saying, that is Jesus Christ. All right, so John the Baptist proves who Jesus is. We see the witness of John the Baptist. Secondly, we see the witness of Jesus' works, the witness of his works. Notice verse 36. Here's what Jesus said. But I have a greater witness than that of John. For the works which the Father hath given me to finish, the same works that I do, bear witness of me that the Father hath sent me. <clears throat> Jesus says even, the, even greater than the witness of John the Baptist is the works that I do. The Jews had a history of seeing some miracles performed, but even they said, Mark 2, 12, immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went forth before all of them, insomuch uh, that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw it on this fashion. That's some words from the Jewish people that they even said, man, we've never seen works like this. But here's the Pharisees looking, and the Pharisees are saying, yeah, no, I don't believe you're the, you're the Christ. Jesus says, you want proof? John the Baptist you want proof? Look at the works I've done. Who else can come and heal like this? Who else could come and, and work miracles? Isn't it interesting if you uh, have studied it out, isn't it interesting that they made the accusation that he healed by demons, by demonic influence? Right? The Pharisees came and said, uh, he healeth after Beelzebub, the one that he's from. You know, the, he, the prince of Beelzebub. And they go through all this because he cast out the, some demons. And Jesus said, a house divided can't stand against itself. You know, can't stand. It, it, you're not going to make it. So you guys, you're, you're ignorant for thinking that I'm not sent from the Father. 
That's what he's saying here in verse number 36. My works prove who I am. I don't know about you, but again, if I see somebody heal a man that's been lame for 38 years, I'm going to find out more about them. And Jesus didn't do it like, you know, old school Benny Hinn style. You know, how many remember Benny Hinn? You remember watching those, watching those clips? Man, me and my sisters, we used to, dad would turn that on just for comic relief. We would turn on Benny Hinn and you'd look and you'd see him pop somebody in the forehead and my dad would be like, ooh, that's going to hurt. And he got a black eye after that. Wonder how much they paid him for that. You know, and you go through all that. <clears throat> We're not, Jesus didn't do that. Jesus didn't walk up to this man and draw everybody's attention. He didn't walk up to the man and say, what's your, what's your ailment? And give him a microphone and let him speak out. He just walked up and said, hey, why aren't you, why aren't you made whole? Sir, I have no man. Oh, okay. Rise, take up the bed and walk. He does it. You know what Jesus tells him in verse 36? That should prove to you who I am. The works. All right, proving who Jesus is, him proving who he is. The proof is the witness of John the Baptist. The proof is the witness of his works. Notice third, the proof is the witness of the Father. Verse 37. And the Father himself, which hath sent me, hath borne witness of me. Ye have neither heard his voice at any time, nor seen his shape, and ye have uh, not his word abiding in you, for whom he hath sent him, ye believe not. Now Jesus is making that claim again, basically that they're just being absolutely ignorant. He's like, hey, listen, even God the Father had said that I'm his son. And you go and you go back to John chapter number one where Jesus was baptized and you find that the dove descended, the Holy Spirit descended upon him as a dove and a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And uh, you know who heard that? It wasn't just John and a few people. There was a lot of people that heard that that day and even some of the Pharisees. I believe some of the Pharisees heard that and I think that that's one of the reasons that Nicodemus came to him and Joseph of Arimathea. Both of them were uh, Pharisees and rich religious people. I think they heard that. I think, I think Nicodemus heard that. I think he saw that. And here's Jesus looking to, uh, Nick, Nick, looking to these Pharisees and to these Jews that are there. And he says, hey, you want proof I am who I am? Look at the Father. Matthew 3, 17, God said this, Lo, a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And this is another bold statement from Christ because he's saying to them, you don't even know the Father. You claim that you know him, but you don't know God. You don't know what he's doing because you're not recognizing who I am. So the witness of the Father was proving who Jesus was. Notice the last, last proof that he gives, verse 39 and 40, is the witness of scriptures. He says, search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. They are they which testify of me. And you will not come to me that you might have life. That's a famous John 5, 39, a famous verse that I, I love. Search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, but they are they that speak of me or testify of me. Do you know what they thought? <clears throat> and the, the religious leaders and many of the Jewish people following the religious, religious leaders had done? They had turned the scripture. Now, they didn't have Genesis through Revelation. They had much of the Old Testament they would have had, but specifically Genesis through Deuteronomy. But they would, you know, they would have Isaiah and Daniel and some of those uh, old-time prophets. Many of them would have those. Not personally, but in the uh, tabernacle or the um, synagogue, excuse me. So Jesus says to them, hey, uh, search the scriptures. You think the law, the scriptures, 
give you life. But that's not the case. The scriptures are they that speak of me. I am the life giver. The scriptures, they just point to me. John 5.39 is a great verse that you can use to help people understand the entire word of God points to Jesus. It's all about him. It's all about Christ. It's all about who Jesus is and the plan that he had. And so Jesus says to him, you think you found eternal life in the scriptures, but the scriptures actually point to who I am. Later on in the passage, we won't get into it, but verse 45 through 47, he tells them that even Moses, when he wrote in the law, he knew who I was. He knew who the Messiah would be. So here you come to John 5. And we find the plan of Jesus being listed out. We find the power of Christ being given. We find that proclamation given, the proclaim, his, his uh, proclamation that I am the Christ. But then we find Jesus bringing about this thing of proving who he was. Now what we've been doing in our series is we've been trying to gather just one simple thought from the words of Christ. As I looked at John 5 and I was breaking up the series for, for my messages, I was looking at John 5 and I'm like, okay, we could do the first part, you know, rise, take up the bed and walk and salvation. And, but then I, I just began to look at John 5. And John 5 is one entire scene and conversation. So you can't break it up. Got to know all of it. I think there's a number of, you know, application points that we could get. I think there's some application about you knowing the plan of God in your life. Have you trusted him as your savior? I think there's application in there about knowing the power of the words of God. Are you allowing God's words to work in your life? Are you allowing God's word to uh, uh, come into you and speak power? Are you responding to them or are you like the majority rejecting them? See, because there's a lot of Christians that still reject God's word in their life. I think some of that is there. I think there's some encouragement about the personal claim that Jesus makes to be the son of God. And so we can know that he is our, fa- he is our, our brother and God is our father. And there's a lot there. But the one question I want to ask you tonight is when you look at all of these things, I think it boils down to those last few verses that we just looked at where Jesus says, I'm proving that I am the Christ. There is proof that I am real. John the Baptist, the witness of the father, the scriptures, the works that I do, they prove that I'm real. The question I want to ask you is, what does your life prove? What does your life prove? I think I have, I have, is a question on there, Brian? There you go. So I want to ask you, am I proving the identity of Christ? Are you? Now we look, John the Baptist proves it. The word proves it, his works prove it, and uh, the father said it. I wonder what does your life say? I wonder when Jesus looks at our life, when the world looks at our life, we were like the impotent man, right? We were helpless, we couldn't do anything, but we received the word of God into our life, his power became into effect in our life. We already know the claim that he is Christ, And so am I living out my life as proof of who he is? Because your life, and you know know the statement, your life might be the only Bible that someone sees. You ever heard that before? What are they saying? Your life might be the only, your life might be the only proof 
that somebody ever sees that says God is real. So I want to ask you tonight, what are you proving? Are you proving? Are you proving the identity of who he is? Can people look at you and say, I know God is real because I've watched them. I know God is real because I've watched what has taken place in their life. I've watched them obey the word. I've watched them see God's power at work. I've watched them follow God's plan for their life. I've watched them just follow after God. So I want to ask you tonight, just as we get ready to wrap up, would you make a decision tonight that this week, this week, I'm going to wake up every day and I'm going to ask the Lord to help me be proof of Jesus. Go through the week and let me be proof that he is real. At your workplace this week, by how you conduct yourself, the conversations you have, in your relationship this week with your spouse, by how you respond, how you interact with your children, in your conversation with fellow believers, in being around others tonight, are you going to allow God to prove to others that God is at work? Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you would like further information about our church, please visit moseslakebaptistchurch.com.